Welcome to the Metabolic Mind Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brett Schur. Metabolic Mind is a nonprofit initiative of Bazooki Group, where we're providing information about the intersection of metabolic health and mental health, and metabolic therapies such as nutritional ketosis as therapies for mental illness. Thank you for joining us. Although our podcast is for informational purposes only and we aren't giving medical advice, we hope you will learn from our content and it will help facilitate discussions with your healthcare providers to see if you could benefit from exploring the connection between metabolic and mental health. Welcome back to Metabolic Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Brett Scher. Today, we're continuing with our series on metabolic health, metabolic therapies, nutritional ketosis, and dementia or cognitive decline. And today, I'm joined by Dr. Mary Newport. Now, Dr. Newport is a neonatologist um, and by training and by <laughs> like 30 years of practice dealing with the, the, the smallest of the patients you can possibly have, the newborn baby. So why are we talking to her about dementia? Well, she was sort of thrust into this world of dementia when her husband Steve started experiencing symptoms of dementia at age 51 and their story is dramatic that you'll hear her story about how she started him with medium chain triglycerides with uh, coconut oil and eventually went down this whole path of exogenous ketones, nutritional ketosis, and saw some really, really dramatic benefits. Benefits that we aren't really seeing with Alzheimer's medications. And this is one of those you know, times in, me in medicine where there really is a shift happening. There's been so much focus on what's called uh, the plaques and the tangles that are seen in, in people's brains with Alzheimer's. And that's where all the research and the drug research has focused on with billions of dollars being spent to really no avail with very minimal, if any, progress um, in the certainly not a cure, but even the treatment of Alzheimer's symptoms. Well, Dr. Newport uh, feels like she's onto something and the research is starting to show this with nutritional ketosis, with exogenous ketones, uh, with MCT or coconut oil, giving the brain this alternative fuel of ketones seems to help some people, again, not everybody, but in trials, a st statistically significant number of people improve their Alzheimer's symptoms. So this is, you know, just one of those dramatic stories of, of one family, the way it impacts not just Steve, the patient, but her as an individual, her family, and how she was able to be uh, an investigative journalist, a detective, a physician, and just a brave caretaker all wrapped into one to really help her husband and to kind of help move this whole field forward. And you can see how she connected with all these experts in the field to start this discussion. And I'm getting a little worked up here because you can see for all those reasons, I just think this is such an incredible story. And so I hope you enjoy this interview with Dr. Mary Newport. And if you want to learn more about her, her website is coconutketones.com. And she has a book um, coming out, or sorry, a, a book, The Third edition now coming out, Alzheimer's D Disease, What If There Was a Cure? And another book, Clearly Keto for Healthy Brain Aging and Alzheimer's Prevention. So there's plenty of stuff out there from, from Dr. Newport if you'd like to learn more. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Dr. Mary Newport. But sorry, before we begin, remember our channel is for informational purposes only. We're not providing individual or group medical or healthcare advice or establishing a provider-patient relationship. Many of the interventions we discuss can have dramatic or potentially dangerous effects if done without proper supervision. So always consult your healthcare provider before changing your lifestyle or medications. Okay, let's get on with the interview. Well, Dr. Mary Newport, I really appreciate you joining me at Metabolic Mind to share your story, your journey, and sort of discuss the science of ketones and as it relates to dementia. So thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Now, you've you've 
been so good about telling the story of your journey along with your husband, but I, I want you to sort of give us the, the overview for people who haven't heard it, because here you were, uh, a neonatologist, a doctor working with the youngest of the youngest patients, but all of a sudden, because of your husband being diagnosed with dementia or having symptoms of dementia at age 51, a very young age, all of a sudden you're thrust to sort of the other side of care about memory loss and cognitive decline. So tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah. So my husband was an accountant and that was perfect for our family because he was able to work from home. I had a hospital-based practice working in newborn ICUs and he was our, uh, did our billing and accounting and managing and all of that. And, uh, but when he was 51, he started having some memory issues, doing some really strange things. And he began forgetting if he'd been to the bank in the post office, which didn't seem normal to me. And we saw, had him see a neuropsychiatrist who mentioned dementia, but he thought more likely it was related to depression. Steve had depression um, and started him on an antidepressant. Um, but looking back, it was more likely that he was depressed because he knew he was losing function. And uh, he was always aware all throughout that he had Alzheimer's, that he, I mean, you know, from the time he was diagnosed, um, he knew it and he talked about it and he was very troubled by how much he had lost and his ability to function as an accountant. And it got worse and worse by 2006. He couldn't drive anymore. He had been on a computer all day, every day, playing on it or working on it. And he couldn't even remember how to turn it on at that point. And how old Much was he? Do anything. How old was he at that point? So he was at this point, he's 56. Yeah. Okay. He was 56. So this had been going on for five years and just getting worse and worse and worse. Right. Yeah. Right. And symptoms for maybe a year or two before that. He was officially diagnosed with Alzheimer's, early onset Alzheimer's in 2004. Yeah. So you're in this role now as a doctor and a caregiver. And so what was your assessment of the of the care he was getting? It was frustrating. <laughs> we, we kept hearing, well, he, he was put on the traditional Alzheimer's medications, Aricept and then Namenda a few months later. We got a second opinion from the Bird Alzheimer Institute in Tampa which is uh, um, just a renowned facility. Um, and they agreed that they, you know, that he most likely had Alzheimer's. They said he had some unusual symptoms like tremors and his gait was weird. Um, he walked kind of slow. Um, they didn't mention Parkinson's or Lewy body dementia at that point. Um, I could jump to the end a little bit. He did donate his brain and we found out that he had predominantly Alzheimer's, but he also had Lewy bodies in hippocampus, amygdala, you know, uh, regions of the brain that are also affected by Alzheimer's. So it explained many of the symptoms that he had then and that he ultimately developed. But um, he, um, you know, basically in 2008, he was going downhill really fast. He could no longer remember to, how to even make a sandwich or, you know, anything like that. We had to, he would get in trouble. <laughs> it's just, you know, <laughs> So many ways of getting in trouble when you have Alzheimer's. And um, I always had to have somebody with him, you know, all the time. So my daughter, one of our daughters moved back home reluctantly, but she helped us so much. Um, but in 2008, we finally had um, two um, clinical trials that became available in the area. You know, it was frustrating because the Alzheimer's Association would say, Every year, or constantly, they were saying, we're within five years of a cure. We heard that for years. We're within five years of a cure. Donate money, you know. But there weren't any drugs that actually improved Alzheimer's. 
the two drugs that he was taking, there was a, a third one that came along that was similar to the first. Um, it, they can slow the decline in about half the people that take them for about six months. And that's the best that they can do. They don't really improve um, anyone um, except maybe very briefly. Some people might have a little bit of improved cognition for a few weeks or something, a couple months. But um, there were two drugs that they um, were going to be doing clinical trials. And um, they both aimed at removing beta amyloid plaques from the brain, which are the hallmark, have thought to be <laughs> the hallmark and the amyloid theory of um, uh, Alzheimer's. And um, they would remove plaque from the brain and they hoped that this would improve someone cognitively. And so we were really eager to get into this because there hadn't really been any clinical trials in our area for a while. Um, so I scheduled them two days in a row um, to have uh, to try out, you know, for these two clinical trials, and they were different locations, different facilities. And the night before, I thought I'm going to look up the risks and benefits of the two drugs as much as I can find out, because he might get accepted into both, and then we might have a choice. So I wanted to find out as much as I could. Well, while I was searching, I came upon a press release about a medical food that was going to come out about a year later. Um, and uh, didn't say exactly what it was or what it did, but it improved um, cognition in nine of 20 people in a pilot study that took just one dose. <laughs> and it improved, um, there was a, another study, a longer study of 152 people that lasted 90 days and then was extended for some of the people to six months. And again, almost half of the people improved. Which is better than any of the current medications out there. And here it is like a tiny press release, right? Not, not big news, but a small press release. Exactly. So I had to dig deeper and I was able to find their patent application on free patents online. And it was very long and it explained um, that Alzheimer's is a type of diabetes of the brain. Some people sometimes call it type 3 diabetes. And they've actually known since the 1980s that there's a problem with glucose uptake in parts of the brain in Alzheimer's. Yeah, but this was like revolutionary, even in 2009. Like it, people weren't really discussing this in 2009. So here was this company with a patent, that with a product, but still was not even touching the mainstream discussion. Exactly, exactly. Still isn't enough. <laughs> but um, yeah, so... You know, they talked about, um, you know, this, this problem, but that ketones are an alternative fuel for the brain and that um, possibly providing ketones to the brain to somebody with Alzheimer's might bring about some improvement. This was their idea. And there is an oil called MCT oil, medium chain triglyceride oil, that when you consume it, no matter what you eat, at least part of it will be converted to ketones. And the brain eagerly takes up ketones and uh, the cells can immediately switch from using glucose to ketones to enter what's called the TCA cycle um, that produces ATP. Every cell, you know, basically nearly all cells need ATP to function. A, a production um, so they of need energy. To make it. Yeah, ATP is the energy, right. right? Yeah, so basically ketones are an alternative fuel for the brain. And I thought, wow, this is a brilliant idea. This makes sense to me. You know, I remembered about MCT oil being converted to ketones. I remembered about ketones being alternative fuel during starvation and fasting. Um, so I thought this, this actually makes sense. And one time in the patent application, 
they mentioned that MC2 oil was extracted from coconut oil. <laughs> and they said coconut and palm oil, but it's really palm kernel oil. Um, and I thought, oh, my God, I might be able to get this. I, and the, the crazy thing was that because I'm a neonatologist, I knew what MCT oil was because in the 1980s, early 1980s, when I was doing my training, we used to add it to the feedings of our tiniest preemies. These were babies under two pounds and they would grow faster. They'd get home faster. And then the formula manufacturers started adding it directly to these premature infant formulas. And um, they also refined the formulas for all babies. They were adding coconut oil and or, I mean, well, coconut oil and sometimes also MCT oil to infant formulas. And they still do today, almost all of the commercial formulas worldwide, because they're trying to mimic the fatty acids that are in breast milk. And there are MCTs in human breast milk. So interesting that you were you were just like the perfect person for this to happen to, right? You know, you don't wish anybody to have to go through something like this, but if it had to be anybody, you were sort of the perfect person for this to happen to. And with good detective work, the medical knowledge and the knowledge of the MCTs. Yeah. So how did you then take the, take the step to say, okay, let's try this. Let's see what happens. Yeah. So um, basically it's about 1am when I find all of this out and I, he had, he was scheduled for the screening at 9am. And this is another remarkable thing that he had a day before and the day that he started coconut oil testing. So um, um, it makes you think about fate and all of that. But anyway, um, you know, he I couldn't, you know, there was nothing to give him that had MCT oil in it, uh, much less did we have any coconut oil. I thought it was an artery clogging fat. That's what I was taught in medical school. Right now you can find MCT oil anywhere. You can find it on any shelf, but then it just didn't exist. Oh, you could hardly find it. I could hardly find it at the time. And um, so we went for the first screening, St. Petersburg, Florida uh, Research Institute there. And he um, had to take a mini mental status exam which for those who don't know is a 30 point test. It's fairly simple. If you're normal, you get 29 or 30 points. It's unusual to even miss a question on that test if you're normal. Um, and he scored 14 on the test, which was too low to qualify for the study. He needed at least 16 points. They wanted people with mild to moderate Alzheimer's and um, the doctor had him draw a clock. <laughs> and I, I'm gonna see if you can see this. So, uh, so for those on the audio podcast, she's holding up her book that has a picture of the clock. Okay. There are a few little circles. There's not a big circle, a few little circles and there are four numbers. And that was it. That was what he came up with for a clock. And the doctor said he's on the verge of severe Alzheimer's. She told me this and, and I was surprised and yet not surprised, um, because of what we were seeing at home. And so on the way home, I knew I had seen coconut oil in a health food store and we stopped there, picked up some. And when I got home, I um, looked up information to remind me which are the medium chain triglycerides. I was able to find the fatty acid composition of the coconut oil on a USDA website. And I figured out how much coconut oil I would need to give him to equal the dose that they were giving in the medical food studies, the pilot studies. And um, it turned out they were giving 20 grams of MCT. And I figured the medium chains were um, C6 to C12, so lauric acid. Some people consider them only C8 and C10, but um, which might not mean anything to anybody. But um, so I figured that he needed 35 grams of coconut oil, which is a little over two tablespoons, 
to equal the 20 ml dose that they were giving of the medical food. So the next morning, um, he was scheduled that day in a different location in Tampa at the Bird Institute to have a screening for a different drug, the other drug. And um, I gave him 35 grams, a little over two tablespoons of coconut oil and some oatmeal. And he ate it. This was around 9 a.m. And he was scheduled for one in the afternoon. Well, it turns out, you know, we found out later that the levels of ketones are not very high from coconut, but they peak at about three hours. (laughs) And um, another fortunate timing, um, we went to Tampa and he gained four points from the day before, including where we were, (laughs) like what city we were in, the floor of of the facility. This, the day of the week and the season, which he had gotten wrong all four the day before. And we were in a different location. So it wasn't that he learned, you know, something. And this is all from one dose, just one dose. This is from one dose, one single dose, 35 grams of coconut oil. And they, you know, the pilot study, the medical food, one dose of people had almost half of them improved. And he, um, he qualified. <laughs> he got 18 out of 30 points and he qualified for the study. So, you know, I was like, well, I don't know if this was just really good luck or hope and prayers or if he, this really happened, but I thought we're going to keep it going. So um, then I started immediately getting every cookbook I can get my hands on for coconut oil and learning as much as I could about it, as well as ketones. And, um, you know, the next day, and that every day thereafter, I gave him first thing in the morning, you know, he would get coconut oil with breakfast. And um, but then I started also giving it to him throughout the day because, you know, in the patent application, they talked about that the um, ketone levels from MCT oil tend to peak around 90 to you know 120 minutes, you know, so an hour and a half, two hours. But then by about three hours, the ketone levels are pretty much gone. Um, I, I've done since then, it seems like I see a, a, a pattern where when I've tested myself so many times that MCT comes up, it goes down, but then it can go back up later, <laughs> the ketone levels, you know, it's six hours or so. And so was this just on like a, a standard diet though? So he wasn't on a low carb diet yet? That was just on a standard diet with coconut oil? He was on a Mediterranean diet. So it's lower carb than your average, you know, sad American diet. But um, <laughs> we were doing a whole food Mediterranean diet for a couple of years at this point. At any point, did he transition to a, a full keto diet with coconut oil or, or not really? He did because he was um, getting so much of the oil <laughs> and he was cu- reducing the carbohydrates just kind of naturally. Um, so, um, yeah, so he, you know, we just started, um, I just started giving it to him at different times of the day because I thought, if the ketones are only available three hours a day, what does your brain do the other 21 hours, you know? Um, and it's very active even when we sleep. So um, I started giving it to him with each meal. And then we had all kinds of snacks that had coconut and coconut oil and coconut milk. And I mean, everything became coconut in our house. Luckily, we both really liked it a lot. Not everybody does, <laughs> but we liked it. And um, around the fourth or fifth day, he was improving so much. It was just remarkable. He said it was like a light switch came on in his brain the day he started coconut oil. He told me that many times. His mood improved. He had been very depressed. I mean, even suicidal, you know. Um, and, you know, it was it was pretty serious. He was on a couple of antidepressants at that point. And, um, but his mood lifted very quickly. And he started talking about having hope for the future that maybe he was not going to die soon after all. 
and he, um, there were just things like in the morning, he'd be very sluggish when he would come out, he'd walk very slow, not animated. Uh, you know, a lot of people have kind of a dead look on their face when they have Alzheimer's, you know, that's what people call it anyway. And he, um, he perked up, he was more animated. He started whistling, he started telling jokes, he started being able to finish sentences. Um, he just, you know, um, there were things like getting utensils out of the drawer. He'd be so confused. He'd forget which one he was going for, like a spoon or whatever. Uh, he could do that. He could get water out of the dispenser from the fridge, which he hadn't been able to do. So this is after a continuous decline for years. Now, all of a sudden, within days, within days is like, wow. I mean, it's so dramatic. Even the first day improving on the minimal status and then over four to five more days, we saw all of these things. He had tremors in his face, his jaw when he would talk and that stopped like um, right away. He had a hand tremor that he would have in the morning and after he'd get the coconut oil within 20 or 30 minutes, it would go away. And so, you know, we just talked about that our life had changed, something had changed. And, you know, in the meantime, I had um, come across the name of Dr. Richard Beach, an MD, PhD. He had, had done his PhD at Oxford. Um, but he uh, had been at the NIH since he finished all of that training for years. And uh, he was in his 70s at this point and still working. And he had um, he had worked with Hans Krebs on, on the Krebs cycle, you know, uh, working out the Krebs cycle. And he was very familiar with ketones. And in the 1990s, he became interested in what the possible therapeutic benefits of ketones might be. And he had kind of come to the conclusion that it could help diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ALS, um, multiple sclerosis, um, um, and you know, heart failure, <laughs> recovery from heart attacks, you know, that the heart also uses ketones as do the kidneys. And um, so he um, had written several hypothesis papers. And I <laughs> was looking on Wikipedia for him and found him on there and it actually had his phone number and I picked up the phone and called him and he answered himself. <laughs> and um, I, I didn't tell him, you know, what I had done with the coconut oil, but I asked him theoretically, do you think, I had a whole list of questions, but do you think um, the ketones from coconut oil could help somebody with Alzheimer's? And he said, uh, I said, I don't think the levels would be high enough to make any difference. Um, and he, then he told me about, you know, Sam Henderson, Dr. Sam Henderson, who had invented the MCT oil, that he had called him a few years earlier to ask him the same question about MCT oil. And he said, yeah, I told him that it wouldn't be high enough. And Dr. Veach had been working on a ketone ester for quite a while at this point, um, probably about 12 or 13 years, that would get the levels quite high, quite high, like within 30 minutes, you would have a, a high a level comparable to uh, what you would get with starving for 10 or 12 days <laughs> or a very strict ketogenic diet. And um, so, uh, but he, he um, sent me his hypothesis papers and about two weeks after Steve improved, I mean, yeah, after he first got the coconut oil, we had, he drew a second clock. <laughs> it's a little hard to see, but much better. It's one one clock face with the numbers and the lines. Yeah. The whole bunch of lines, a whole bunch of lines. He later told me um, that the lines, he was trying to line up the numbers across from each other. That's what the lines were for. I thought they were a whole bunch of hands of the clock, you know. 
so clear, clear, dramatic improvements. And, and so you know you're on to something, right? You're on to something that nobody's really publishing about, nobody's really talking about. So where'd you go from here? Like, how did you process all this and move forward? Woo. Well, I sent the clocks, the comparison to Dr. Veach, and he called me and he said, well, this is unexpected. <laughs> and um, he became very interested. And then he connected me with several other researchers, Dr. George Cahill, who was quite up in age, who was the one who discovered that ketones fuel the brain during starvation in the 1960s. He had reported that. He called me. Um, Dr. Um, Theodore Van Italy, a nutrition researcher who, uh, along with Dr. Sammy Hashin, both of them independently called me. Um, they had were the ones who discovered that MCT oils converted the ketones in the 1960s. And they were all involved with Dr. Veach and trying to get this message out. But, you know, publishing papers, they were in fairly obscure journals that most physicians wouldn't even read. Um, so, you know, it just kind of became my life, my life's purpose to get this message out to as many people as possible. And um, so um, I started writing um, first to doc, uh, to. Um, Justice uh, Sandra Day O'Connor, my sister suggested her because her husband had Alzheimer's and she was on the Alzheimer's study group at that point, you know, which was affiliated with the Alzheimer's Association. And um, I wrote a really long letter. I think it was about seven pages long, uh, talking about the medical food, how my husband had improved. I know he's only one case. And what I'm asking is for you to get your medical people and scientists in this group to evaluate this, to look at these results, because this is on the shelf. You know, coconut oil was on the shelf. MCT oil had been on the shelf for decades. Not very obvious, but bodybuilders were using it to increase their lean body mass since about the 1970s. So it was out there. Some people were using it for weight loss. And um, these were available on the shelf. Why should somebody have to wait another year for this medical food to come out, which was gonna be an expensive prescription they were going to have to go to a doctor who knew about it to get it. Um, so, you know, basically to me, it was all very urgent and, you know, uh, got no response from her <laughs> you know, and for months. I mean, I, I hounded, I hounded them. And uh, finally somebody wrote back um, Alzheimer's association, numerous politicians. It was an election year, 2008, you know, so I was writing to everybody. I was writing to all the major stations, uh, everybody trying to get some kind of attention, basically saying this needs to be studied urgently. And people need to know that medium chain triglyceride oil and, and coconut oil, which happened with my husband, could potentially improve somebody with Alzheimer's. And, um, you know, with Steve, Dr. Veach encouraged me to add, well, he wanted me to stop the coconut oil because of that, you know, myth that it is an uh, artery clogging fat and just use MCT oil. Well, Dr. Van Italy, who was in his late nineties at that point, he said, he said, you know, there might be something else about the coconut oil. And that was my feeling too. That's what my husband improved with. So maybe there's something else in coconut oil that facilitates all of this, that has something to do with it. And if I just limit it to the medium chains and assume that it's only ketones that are the factor, that, you know, um, he might lose ground. He might not do so well. So I started mixing the two. <laughs> uh, I just started adding some MCT oil to the coconut oil. And we were, you know, and he, he told me, Dr. Veach said, 
push it until he has diarrhea and vomit. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we, I increase it a little bit, you know, at a time and over a few months, he was getting a mixture of coconut and MCT oil, about um, three tablespoons with each meal and uh, another two in the evening, eventually two tablespoons. That was a lot of fat. And um, he, you know, he was worried about gaining weight, which was understandable when you add that much oil. And he had already started, you know, stopped eating. You know, he had been eating massive amounts of fruit before this happened. He cut way back, you know, um, he was eating some berries, blueberries, strawberries, um, and uh, already eating a lot of vegetables. But he started leaving behind the bread, the rice, the pasta, you know, anything like that that we were eating. And he basically was effectively on a ketogenic diet. You know, we didn't have a handheld home monitor to prove it, you know, but I'm quite sure that he was. Um, and, you know, so he, he just steadily improved. He had um, by uh, two months after he started the coconut oil, he could tie his shoes again. <laughs> I had to tie his shoes for him up to then. His gait completely normalized. He started walking normally and he could pick up his feet and run again. And um, around three and a half, four months, he announced that he could read again. He hadn't been able to read for about a year and a half. And, uh, you know, but I didn't know why. And I said, can you tell me why? What, what was going on? And he said, well, he said the words on the page, it was like they would go into pixels and move all around on the page. And um, I had a hint of this one time when we were at the Bird Institute, he pointed to a thermostat on the wall and he said, look at that, it's shaking all over the place. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's got some kind of visual disturbance going on. And that's common with Lewy body dementia. Um, they have visual disturbances. So that's what was happening when he was reading. And at like three and a half months after he started the coconut, he said, I can read again. And, and he said, the shaking stopped. And so he could actually read and he did start reading again. And around nine or 10 months, he started remembering what he'd read three, four hours earlier. Like uh, I have an example of, you know, um, uh, we were in, a, I had a doctor appointment and he was in the waiting room and he read a scientific American about Albert Einstein. And a few hours later, he told me about it. I mean, details of this article about Albert Einstein. And he'd remember that a volcano had happened a couple of weeks earlier, just different things like that. Yeah. So the change in his quality of life is night and day and how that affects your life as a, as a loved one and a caretaker and, you know, having your daughter, maybe not having to be around him all the time, you know, for 24 seven care anymore. I mean, like dramatic, dramatic changes. And it was dramatic. Yeah. And so, but I mean, to bring it back to, to sort of, the real life, right? Not a cure-all. It didn't cure. It wasn't, it wasn't gone. So, you know, tell us sort of the course of how this progressed and how long it lasted. So, um, you know, basically he seemed to level off at about like 10 months or so, but he was doing so much better. He was able to work as a volunteer at the hospital <laughs> where I worked. He worked in the supply warehouse. He'd put stickers on supplies. He'd help with the deliveries to the different units. And that made him, he was so happy because he felt useful again. You know, he, he wanted to work and now he was doing something. He was a little dismayed. He wasn't getting a check, but <laughs> but he, he did really well. Um, and he hit, did get into one of the studies, you know, I mean, he uh, tested for the other study again and a couple months later, and he got an MMSE of 20 that time. So it bumped up even more. 
and he was accepted into the study. And I, they knew what we were doing. Uh, we chose the one called semigasostat, which was an oral medication. And we picked that one because it was a crossover study. We knew he would get it eventually. If he didn't get it right away, he would get it. And we were very hopeful that this would be it. You know, this would bring him back. And the people there had done uh, a study with the medical food. They were involved in that particular research. So they were very familiar with it. And, you know, when I told them what we were doing, they said, oh, yeah, we actually participated in that study. So um, uh, even though he was taking all this coconut and MCT oil, they let him in the study, <laughs> which was amazing. amazing. But actually, it was probably a bad thing, as it turned out, because um, we found out later he was on the placebo for 18 months. And um, all of his improvement happened during that time, um, the 18 months. I didn't know absolutely for sure. I knew he had proved the first two months before he started the study. You know, he had clearly improved. And after that, I could never be sure until we knew he was on placebo, that that's what had, you know, resulted in his improvement. Um, but then um, at um, 18 months, we, and we, he, he switched over to the drug. And the reason I knew he had switched over is his hair started growing out like kind of a gold white color, <laughs> which was a, um, one of the common side effects of the drug. And so even the people, you know, they said, we, we have a feeling uh, of who's on it or not because of this hair color change. And he was on it for probably six weeks and he started having all kinds of strange side effects like wounds that wouldn't heal. He had an abrasion that wouldn't heal for a month. He would nick himself shaving. It would bleed for three or four days. And then he fainted and he had a really high um, muscle, uh, a CPK enzyme, which could be from brain or muscle. You know, I actually had to get our own testing to sort that out. It turned out it was probably from muscle, but um, we were worried about his heart. <laughs> you know, that CPK can become elevated with, you know, when there's, and this was a concern in this this study. Such a sad story because he was doing so well, then gets this new exciting new drug and all of a sudden starts doing worse when he starts the, the medication. So the irony is that coconut oil helped him get into the study, but then the study actually <laughs> caused a lot of problem for him. So he had a really big setback. He started having some new Alzheimer's symptoms at this point um, and kind of reverting back on some, um, not completely, I mean, you know, he regressed, but not to the point of, you know, where he was before, you know, we started this. Um, so then Dr. Veach had, <laughs> he had, uh, he, we dropped out of the study. And then later we were told a few months later, they called us and they said that this drug had actually accelerated Alzheimer's. When they analyzed the first 18 months of data, it accelerated it. So fortunately, we did drop out after about six weeks. Well, so and this brings up a really interesting point about sort of the mechanisms, right? Because this was a drug looking at the, the plaques and the tangles. And so, you know, Alzheimer's research is focused on, OK, we see these plaques and tangles in Alzheimer's brain. So those must be the problem. So let's create drugs to take them away. But it turns out maybe that's not correct at all. And that maybe those are, you know, reactionary or protective even, and that taking them away could do more harm. But instead, instead, why aren't we focusing on this concept of mechanism as brain fuel and, and the, you know, the cells not being able to produce energy well, and then the ketones. So now how has the research sort of started to, to started to look at this and, and progress over the time? It's just barely making a dent, but it's, it's starting to improve. <laughs> um, Dr. Stephen Kunain has done a whole lot of the, um, the research. Um, 
he has he's the ability to do ketone and glucose PET scans. And so he has been studying people. Um, he began by studying adults of all ages. I think he's studied, well, the last I heard, well over 300 people he's, have had these dual scans. So um, healthy young adults, healthy older adults, um, older people with mild cognitive impairment, with mild to moderate Alzheimer's. Um, and, you know, basically what he's found <laughs> is very interesting. As we age, we develop what he calls a brain energy gap uh, compared to younger people. And it's a, the difference between how much energy your brain needs and how much it actually gets. And even in cognitively normal, healthy, older people in their 70s, the gap is about, it can be like uh, 7 to 9% gap in energy, which kind of explains some, maybe some of the age-related memory issues, the little fogginess that people report. Um, but people with mild cognitive impairment, that increases to 10 or 12%. And people with Alzheimer's mild, at the mildest stage are about 20% deficit in brain energy. And that just worsens, you know, as the disease progresses. So it's almost like aging <laughs> and, and age is the greatest risk factor for Alzheimer's, you know, that, that you know, this aging process and, and um, effect on the brain is, uh, you know, explains Alzheimer's in, in many respects. And um, it's been found that it's due to insulin resistance is a big part of the problem. There's a problem with getting glucose even into the brain. Um, and uh, there are glu uh, glutes, glucose transporters that are deficient in Alzheimer's, GLUT1 and GLUT3. Uh, GLUT1 gets uh, glucose into the brain, GLUT3 into neurons. Um, and, um, you know, insulin indirectly is involved, directly or indirectly, you know, with these various glucose transporters. And then there's another thing, the PDH complex that has to do with converting the fuels, glucose to ATP that's deficient. So it's almost like there's a conspiracy of getting glucose into the brain. Well, and that's what makes the, the uh, treatment so interesting, right? Do you just give ketones to give the alternative fuel or do you correct the insulin resistance so the brain can start using the glucose better or do you have to do both, right? And that's what I guess a lot of the research is looking at now. Yeah, and that that's what I, that's what I have come to the conclusion of um, and you know, I've been writing a lot about this, um, the various books that I've been writing, but, you know, trying to uh, tackle both a ketogenic diet, a low carb ketogenic diet will help reduce insulin resistance. And, and this um, Dr. Um, Eric Westman, for example, at Duke University, he has helped for over the last couple of decades, more than 4,000 people with type two diabetes get, um, their diabetes under control, get off insulin, off medication, completely normalize their hemoglobin A1C, their fasting blood glucose, fasting insulin levels. Um, and as long as they stay on the diet, they can sustain that. If they go off of it, they're not cured. <laughs> you know, If you revert to your old habits, it, it can come back. Um, but uh, there are also some case reports of people that had diabetes and um, Alzheimer's, mild Alzheimer's, that completely reverse that mini mental status, status going from 21 or 23 to 28 or 29, almost normal, and reversing all of these other symptoms of diabetes as well. Um, so, um, you know, attack, approaching this with a low carb diet can be very beneficial. And then providing the fuel as ketones, you know, a lot of people improve just with that without you know, changing their diet very much. Um, the ketone ester has been out since 2018. And my husband had a dramatic, he, it, 
reversed almost all of this, the new symptoms that he had. You know, when he first started the ketone ester, Dr. Beach, he said it's past toxicity testing. Let's see if we can get him back. And he, the day he started it, <laughs> within 24 hours, he was able to do things independently again, like taking, I had to talk him through a shower, talk him through shaving step by step. He just could do it. He could just do it the next day. And just other symptoms over about six weeks improved, and he felt much better. He said he could do things again. Was how he put it. So you did. You did earlier say sort of you sort of fast forward to the end a little bit, and you said he had donated his brain, and, and he looked at his brain. So hinting that that he did eventually pass. But but looking back from the time he was diagnosed, from the, from the time he passed, how much time do you think he gained of quality life by your experimentations with coconut oil and 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 everything that followed? What do you think the time gain was? I feel that it was close to four years wow. at least Wow! Um, because he, he improved basically for that almost four years after he started the coconut oil, he was better than he was the year before and the, the things that he could do. Um, and, you know, and then unfortunately, you know, what happened with Steve that um, he had a seizure for the first time ever, even though he had taken the ketone ester, there was an idea that the ketone ester might prevent seizures or, you know, um, but in this case, he had taken it an hour or two before, you know, um, and I had just gotten to the hospital to work and I had a lady with him and she called me and she had called 911 and she said he fell straight back and went into a full blown seizure. He had a seizure that lasted 20 minutes and he was had stopped breathing. He turned blue. Uh, he had a head injury with it. You know, he hit his head. Um, I thought maybe it had a stroke, but it didn't show nothing showed up like that, you know, on the CT scan. Um, and he had another seizure on the way to the hospital, I was told later, and he was really out of it for a few days. And I, I thought that was going to be the end. <laughs> I really did. But he, um, got up out of bed and he started walking again. And I thought I'm getting him out of here before anything else happens. And, and he was on an anticonvulsants, uh, you know, and they did a number on him too. Very lethargic, you know, after he'd been on him for a while, he'd get very lethargic. And people with Lewy body dementia, it turns out are very sensitive to certain medications like antipsychotics can, can cause acute Parkinsonism, you know, in somebody that has Lewy body dementia. And, um, you know, we had some, some bad experiences with those types of medications. And so he was never the same after that. It, we were worried about letting him walk very much. He, we would put a gate bell on him to help him walk. I had caregivers by this time in our house, you know, helping me with him and spending the night and everything. And um, he um, just gradually, gradually, you know, um, got worse. He, he lived for another two and a half years after the seizure. And um, so I think it may even, because we kept the ketone ester going, I did, and giving him the coconut and MCT oil too, just not quite as much while he was taking the ketone ester, stayed on the very healthy diet. He, he would eat for an hour, hour and 15 minutes is how long it would take. He'd have to be fed. And um, I had the greatest caregivers that were willing to do all of that and help, help him and me in that way. And he, his body was, from the neck down, he looked perfect. Well, I'm so sorry to hear about the, the eventual decline and, and passing. But such a, a an ins despite that, such an inspiring story and such a sort of a wonderful example of of one family, 
you know, on the cutting edge of, of what is possible and what's followed since in terms of the research and the attention, which still isn't enough and your books. And so, so I guess as, as to wrap all this up, like, you know, with your books, with your writing, with your advocacy, with the research, what do you hope, you know, physicians and individuals will walk away from, from this story and, and, and learn? Well, I think, you know, one of the big things is that what you eat does make a difference and makes a big difference. I mean, I had not a clue that nutrition had anything to do with Alzheimer's. Um, we started a Mediterranean diet when I read that the Mediterranean diet can prolong somebody's life by four years with Alzheimer's. I had read a study about that in 2006. Well, it didn't slow it down for Steve. And I don't know if, if I mean, as far as we can tell, he still progressed. But, um, but that they're, you know, providing fuel to the brain, reversing insulin resistance could make a huge difference. Um, and it doesn't seem to work for everybody, but many people, it does you know, seem to help um, at trying this ketogenic approach. And now there are ketone esters, ketone salts out there, you know, that can uh, get, you know, the ketone ester that Steve took um, uh, can, you know, get the level up, you know, quickly and within 30 minutes and um, very high. And, you know, he was on it uh, for a couple of years. No, actually for the rest of his life. But it, it kept him stable for about 20 more months, you know, after he started taking it. And, you know, so there are things like that can, you can do. Overnight fasting will put you in ketosis in the morning. You can extend that by um, not eating solid food with carbohydrates right away. You can add coconut or MCT oil to the coffee. Um, supplements can, with ketone salts or ketone esters, can boost your levels even further. And then maintaining a healthy, you know, um, low-carb, whole-food diet you know, is, is basically what I recommend. And, you know, it's hard to maintain an extremely strict ketogenic diet, you know, which would be 85 or 90% fat. But, you know, people can, uh, I think, relatively easily cut their carbs down to maybe less than 60 grams a day and increase their fat intake and be in mild nutritional ketosis. And if you include coconut and MCT oil as part of that fat that will help maintain your ketosis. And then you can build on that, you know, with supplements and exercise also stimulates ketone production. Right. And it's a different, it's a completely different world now because you can get coconut oil, MCT oil, the drop of a hat, you can get ketone monitors, the drop of a hat so much easier to, to test and tell. So we've come a long way. And, and I, I, I mean, I thank you for, for your journey, sharing your journey, something we can all learn from. And, and I'm encouraged by the research that's happening. And um, it's one of those, you know, things, you know, sort of like same thing we talk about with serious mental illness. While the research is happening, there are people who are looking for answers now who are desperate for answers now. So it's almost like, why wouldn't someone try this? You know, talk to their doctor about it, talk to a nutritionist about it, talk to a dietitian, learn about it and, and make sure you can safely start on it. But if you're looking for answers, it could be a potential for people. So, and your story, I think will give people the inspiration to do that. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us today and sharing your journey with us. You're welcome. And even the Alzheimer's Association is funding some of this research now, not enough, but some of it. So it's, it's encouraging. It's, it's starting to get out there. It's been mostly a grassroots effort, but you know, um, it's starting to get attention slowly, but surely person by person. So thank you for, um, giving me the chance to help spread this message. Of course. Thanks for listening to the Metabolic Mind podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please leave a rating and comment as we'd love to hear from you. And please click the subscribe button so you won't miss any of our future episodes. 
and you can see full video episodes on our YouTube page at Metabolic Mind. Lastly, if you know someone who may benefit from this information, please share it as our goal is to spread this information to help as many people as possible. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you here next time at the Metabolic Mind Podcast.